Hello and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast. In today's slightly longer than usual episode, Ruth and I talk about football fans' reputation and we have a great interview with Matt and Gavin from the Barry Horns. I apologise about the sound quality. I'm a little bit louder than everyone else due to having to do this over Skype, so apologies for that. It is a fantastic interview though as they talk to us about how the idea for the Barry Horns came up, how their idea has developed and what it is now. Ruth and I also talked briefly about the China Cup and Jonathan Ford's recent comments about having an English manager or not, as the case may be. It's a great episode and we hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. This is episode three and tonight we are going to be talking about football fans' reputation. As always, I'm here with Ruth. Evening. Um, we're going to be talking about football fans' reputation, but in general, just sports fans' reputation, uh, especially on Wales, obviously. It's very important to different sets of people. For example, I think Wales fans were very well-received when we were in France in Euro 2016, but equally, for every kind of positive fan experience, there's enough people who are kind of fond of their bad reputation as well. I'd use someone like Millwall or Leeds and uh, West Ham uh, in football terms as an example of that. Um, so this weekend, uh, there was a rugby match going on in Cardiff, Wales played South Africa, and there were huge numbers of kind of negative reports, I would say, uh, after the match. In total, there were reports of sexual assault, violence, drunkenness, and we just wanted to kind of talk about that in relation to football. I think personally, I don't know what you think, I think that football fans' kind of reputations is a little bit hard done by in get get hard done by in modern terms. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a timeline here, isn't there? If you if we look back to what was happening in the 70s and the 80s, there was a, a reputation that developed. We could argue about the viability of that reputation, but that was the reputation that became the sort of de facto um, opinion of uh, football fans and. I think, we're, I think we're still suffering from that. Um, I mean, the fact that when, when Wales went to um, France last summer, that, you know, almost like the surprise that we would be a positive influence yeah, on the tournament, well, no. you know? And you think, like, no, actually, that's just people behaving in a good way, enjoying themselves, um, entering into the spirit of it, being good guests with yeah. good hosts. Um, and actually, it shouldn't be a surprise. That's what we should kind of expect yeah. of, of people traveling abroad, frankly. Um, and I think the fact that that, in a roundabout way, became a good news story, in some respects, is quite sad because it shouldn't need to be a good news story. Um, I was just wanted to ask you like, about any kind of specific good or bad experience you've had at the football. Like, personally, I count myself as relatively lucky. I think... I went to one of my first football matches with my uncle Paul, who's a Man City fan, so I've always got a soft spot for them. And being around the football with those guys, they were like a great bunch and from all sorts of walks of life and were, a great, were great to me as part of my kind of early football experiences. Um, equally, I've had some awful football experiences as a, as a Newcastle fan, but I've got to say, not as many as I've had uh, good. I, my, my negative football experiences certainly don't outweigh my positive. Um, what about you? Yeah, I think in some respects, because I'm female, I think actually I was quite closeted in the sense that the guys I was going with would really look after me and protect me and yeah. make sure I wasn't exposed to some of the troubles 
Um, but we'd be careful. So it's like we were talking with Hayley before about actually consciously going to the away end at some at some rounds, ironically. Um, and also, you know, just looking at how you were travelling, didn't go down the pubs afterwards, you know, that sort of thing. Just were, just were careful in a way that you don't need to be anymore. And I think that's what I've noticed in the change of, as I've grown older and, and attended more sporting events is the fact that that sort of carefreeness that I have now when I go to sporting events, both sides of the Atlantic, I certainly didn't have as a teenager and in my early 20s. I was very conscious of what I was doing. I was very careful. And I think that's the biggest change I've noticed is the fact that I've, it's it's not a demanding experience now like it used to be. You just had to have your wits about you so much that, that it, it became a... a an exercise going to a game whereas now you can just go and enjoy yourself yeah I think that's a fair comment like I think a lot of it is kind of it's blown out of proportion a little bit as well and I think the fact that you can go to a football match be it you know in the 70s 80s or whatever and you personally for example not being any fighter I assume you're not being any fighter I don't know because you're a closet a closet closet brawler um, but I think I think that's really important to, to note that if you wanted to be in trouble, like you could find that yeah. trouble equally. All right, I know as you say, maybe you closet it to an, ex- yeah. to an extent, but you could also avoid it as yeah. well. And I think for me, I think that's what a lot of it is: is a lot of football fans aren't really football fans. They they just like that thing of the drinking and the whatever they're wearing and being involved in some sort of physical fight. I like the drinking, I like, you know, to look a certain way at the football, but I've never, ever been in a fight at a football match, and, and that's because I don't want to be. I think the, the football is like the vehicle uh, for people to be involved in that. People don't go because they're football fans, they, they want to go because they're fans of fighting. Um, and I think, as a consequence of what happened in the 70s and 80s, like, you know, you've got Hillsborough here, and I think that had a massive negative effect forever on the way football fans are Yeah, I, th- I think obviously a lot stemmed from... It was it was actually really difficult to be a football fan and not feel like you were being treated as second-class citizens. Because you were being treated as second-class citizens. You were minded on the trains. You were walked through literal police escorts to get to the ground. You were herded into fenced areas. The facilities were terrible get herded in reverse you know and 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 sometimes people would go looking for trouble you know there's the the famous game where Millwall went at the Luton fans literally like rammed them throwing things at them in the ground ripping up chairs to the point where Luton didn't host away fans for three or four years they just said it's not worth it's not in our interest to do this we're not doing this um and so and, and a lot stems from um I think this idea that fans at the time were were this sort of young working class, isolated, you know, under the sort of wrath of Thatcherism, just that whole sort of political climate at the time in the 80s, it was actually really difficult to be a young man at that point. You, you, you culturally was like, who am I and where am I going? And that was really hard. Um, and I think 
the guys that were then looking for the agro side of things, football provided a, a, a vehicle for that, provided a mechanism. Clearly it wasn't anything really to do with the football. It was no. to do with tribalism. It was to do with a rawness. It was to do with just feeling that they were empowered in some way because most of the rest of their lives they were disempowered. Yeah. So this was something they could take some charge of. Um, and it just, it, the whole thing just rolled then. And it became... Um, you know, we as well. I think as a as a like what you might think of as a normal football fan. I think we also accepted things that we won't accept now. Yes. You know, we accepted the police escorts and we accepted the appalling stewardship that was happening at grounds and being fenced and you know and just treated appallingly. Whereas now, I think we've grown to a point where we're just not going to settle for that. I, I don't. You see, I, I for me, that sort of thing still goes on. Is un- 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 for no way is it like it used to be in the 80s and stuff. But I went to a Newcastle Spurs game not long ago, and some, as always, it just takes two idiots who had set off a flare in the concourse of the ground. So there's all this smoke and stuff everywhere. So as a consequence, they block the Newcastle fans going, anyone who's outside, block them going in. Kickoff was delayed and everything. So I think at that point, the police and the stewards and the club had thought, well, we've done our job here. But what, of course, you know, they hadn't realised there was probably about 300 fans outside the ground. And we were all squeezed in because on the road going past us were the Spurs fans. And you don't have to be a genius to work out. You've got 300, you know, three, 400 people who'd had a beer, who'd wanted to get in somewhere, so were annoyed, were hemmed in, being goaded by all these Spurs fans going past. There was a big kind of housing block, uh, flat, uh, block of flats, sorry, opposite us. People were throwing things down from that. Well, of course that situation is going to get heated. In no way was the right way to deal with that situation. We're just going to keep these lads here and hope for the best. The sensible way is to deal with the two morons inside about the flares, kick them out and let everyone else in. But instead, a problem was created because of the way the police and the stewards kind of felt they had to deal with the situation. That, that didn't need dealing with, not in the scale they did. And I, like, I never went to football in the 80s. Uh, and not really that much in the early 90s either, but I still have really strong memories of the way, you know, I remember watching Cardiff play Portsmouth once, and the Portsmouth fans would walk darts into the crowd and were throwing them at the Cardiff fans. And where we were sat, and it, you know, and that's stupid, don't get me wrong, like there, were def- there are definitely, and there still are, people involved in football who are, are kind of idiots like that. But it's certainly not the, my, uh, the majority, it's definitely the minority. And I really do think the problems of being treated like second-class citizens, like you just said, I think that problem may be not as widespread, but it certainly still exists in football, like, in my kind mm-hmm. of, in my experience. Um, enough about negative stuff. Yeah. yeah. Positives. Positives. Well, I mean, I, I think we're in a very different place. I mean, clearly there are issues, but I do think it's fair to say that both policing and stewardship has really improved over the last say 15, 20 years um, but there's a rawness about the game that's been lost hasn't there if you look at what's happened with stadia developments and you know all seater, ticket costs all that sort of thing have, have turned football into a different experience, a different game than you know when I was going as a young teenager and, um, and I think because of that there's, a, there's now a different culture around the game and 
you, you can say for better for worse. You know, people that are watching, um, you know, force, say force division, division two football. Um, <laughs> you know, they they're going to have a very different experience than someone watching a Premiership game, and that's probably a more, should we say, real football experience. Um, but I think the the development over the the last few years has. There's been pluses, but I think it's fair to acknowledge there's been minuses yeah. as well. And there's been costs to the development and costs to the changes, uh, both in terms of who's able to watch football and what the experience of watching football is. I totally agree. I think, like, from my perspective, football has definitely changed for the better. Like, a lot of my early football experiences were at, at Cardiff City, uh, at Nuneaton Park. And I've got to say, some of the best atmospheres I've ever experienced were there. Uh, it was noisy, it was edgy, um, and it could be kind of a bit scary at times. But I will tell you one of my all-time favourite football stories. I used to coach uh, a football team back in, in Wales. If there are any listeners who are part of Sully Colts Football Club, big shout out to you. So I had my manager's jacket when I was a coach, and it was a big cold weather coat. And it had the badge on it, it had my initials on it, but on the back it had SCFC, the Sully Cox Football Club. I went to the uh, to, to Ninian Park and was stood in the terrace, and some group of lads stuck behind me started saying, You Jack Bustard, you Jack Bustard. And I thought it was aimed at like someone on the pitch used to make a Swansea or something, like you're in that sort of thing. I was getting involved, so I was pointing and shouting and everything, chanting away, and uh, by a point, most of the of the stand was shouting, you Jack Bastard, and I was joining in. And genuinely, they were chanting at me. They were, they were must have half of the stand, but a thousand people were shouting, you Jack Bastard, at me. I'm sitting there with a big smile on my face. And uh, I turned around and said, this, I made a substitution at half time, and I turned to the bloke next to me and said, uh, oh, it was just come off, I, I didn't hear that. And he was just like, I'm not talking to you, mate. You've got some nerve. And I was like, what? Just ask you a question. He was just like, "Yeah, bloody Swansea City on the back of your chair." And I was just like, "You um, Jack Bath? Okay, it all makes it. It's Sully Colts, mate." And showed him the badge, and he started laughing. Uh, and b- before the match, I had a nosebleed. Just nothing. Not not being hit by anyone. It just happened. So I walk into the ground, and I think I've kind of tidied myself up. But of course, like my top lip has got like little red flecks on it. So. These lads think I'm a legitimate football hooligan because <laughs> I've got blood on my face. I've got the SCFC on my mind. They think I'm some kind of hard man who's popped in into the Dragon's Den sort of thing, the Dragon's Lair. Uh, and, of course, you know, they'd all read the script. I was only about 20 years old, obviously, a bit wet behind the ears still. It was all banter. Yeah. And they were not for a moment did I think that was ever going to kick off. Yeah. But to me, that is everything that is great about a football yeah. match. Like, the humour involved in that, the banter, like, the whole circumstance was hilarious. In no way, despite I had a thousand people shouting, you Jack Bastard at me, did I ever feel threatened yeah. in any way. And football has kind of afforded me some of these experiences, which I don't think I would have got anywhere, and it's kind of kind of shaped part of who I am, corny though it is to say, but I like, I really love it. I think that's a great story yeah, to tell. Yeah, nice story. And I and I think that's just a something that football can yeah. can offer you that other things going to the theatre. I'm sure you can have a great time at that. But that sort of buzz and the excitement and like 
the laughs and that, like, and you just can't sort of have that anywhere else, I don't think. So, for me, for all the negatives that you can kind of pull out with football, I think there's so many more positives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, should we talk about the situation with the rugby a little bit and then cycle back to the football? So I wanted to talk a little bit more about what actually happened at the rugby and, and Cardiff in the last few Saturdays. Obviously, the we're getting information very second-hand here, but it sounds like at the New Zealand game in particular, there was some like nasty incidents within the ground. I mean, not violence or anything, but just in terms of how the crowds were treating one another and, and people um, just being aggressive and rude and drunk and obnoxious. And, uh, and that part of it, I think, a lot falls on the stewards in terms of people who are behaving in that way. Should just They should just shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, and I think there may be things that rugby stadia need to need to learn from uh, football stadia in terms of how people are managed. Um, then there's also the the, the stories and, uh, that we've been hearing about what was happening within Cardiff in the evenings and uh, some of the uh, the tweets that came out from the police force, particularly the transport police, about the things they were dealing with in yeah. Cardiff. What, now, was it, what was the name of that guy? Cleland. Um, in fairness, we don't know, you know, we're not in a position to say what's normal Saturday night in Cardiff versus <laughs> what's caused by the rugby. Um, but it was interesting that he felt confident enough in what he was saying to point out the difference between the rugby crowds recently and the football crowds. Because he recently. was actually the one who drew the comparison. Yeah, he, he, yeah, so the fact that he feels confident enough to, to bring out that point I thought was really interesting. Is he's literally at the chalk face of that. Um, and I don't think there are. I don't think there are. There's no easy answers here, obviously. But I think rugby's potentially in a really difficult place because they're, they're starting to market themselves in a certain way. As an event. As an event. Yeah. yeah, as an event, rather than a sport. Yeah. Um, and so, in that process, they're drawing in an event crowd, not necessarily a rugby crowd. Yeah. And I think that's something that. You know, you've got to think about what's what's your aim for this experience. Is the aim for this experience to drink as many pints as possible and have a you know a rowdy night out in Cardiff? Are you at the rugby um, watching a, sport watching a sporting event? Are you doing a bit of both? And most you know most lads that have gone to the rugby would probably argue they're doing a bit of both. You know, they're going for a, a day on the beers where they're going to watch a game that they love yeah, as well. I, do you know what, I think that's yeah. uh, football fans. I do. I, I would say yeah. are probably the same as that. Exactly. I think the thing that struck me is you say marketing about an event is that you uh, said for the South Africa game there was a mojito bar. Yeah. Like, you're targeting a certain <laughs> type of person there who's going to say to their friends, oh, we'll go back there. Yeah. They had a mojito bar. <laughs> uh, and that is, as you say, targeted as an event. The only thing I'm kind of intrigued about as a comparison to that mm -hmm. is I think um, football has kind of become a bit of an event. Mm-hmm. Because of the costs and the way the you know the stadiums are and where the stadiums are, for example. Um, equally, other events in in Cardiff City Centre, for example, the, the the Anthony Joshua boxing, for example, like that was marketed as as an event. I mean, I don't know, but I didn't hear anywhere near the same level as. Uh, of, of trouble in inverted commas at that so what is the difference all of a sudden between that and the rugby crowd mm -hmm. like my personal theory is 
rugby tickets used to be kind of hard to come by, and it was all run through clubs uh, yeah. and allocated a certain way. So you, to all intents and purposes, may have been seventy thousand people at that Millennium Stadium, but you had a pretty good idea who who yeah. was going to be there. Whereas now, you can get tickets a lot easier. Yes, they're more expensive, but you can get tickets more easier. So I think as a consequence, people are looking at it as an event. So we'll go, you know, it's like buying a ticket to the concert. You'll spend 70, 80 quid to go to a concert, maybe, because it's a one-off event. And I think people are doing that for the rugby these days now as well. Uh, Whereas compared to the Welsh football, for the competitive games at least, tickets are hard to come by. And if you want to get a ticket for a home game, you've got to be part of the membership scheme or you've got to know someone or... So as a consequence, I think people just aren't bothered with the hassle of all that. Mm-hmm. So as a consequence, I think a lot of that eventness has come away from the football, and that sort of person has come away from the football isn't going to the football as yeah. much, especially in Welsh terms. It's difficult to get a ticket for. So as a as a consequence, the whole event is not relevant to them. Whereas the rugby crowd people can get tickets now yeah. a bit easier so as a consequence it becomes more of an event to them and why they're more willing to come it's my personal opinion like mm-hmm. we were talking to someone who we work with who was talking about the English rugby it's hard to get tickets still it's in an area away from London that's not the easiest to get to it's an yeah. expensive area there's not pubs near the ground Cardiff suffers none of those problems <laughs> um, so as a consequence you're going to get a kind of not a certain type of person but you're going to get more people who are out for a day out and go into an event like you yeah. say than, than going to the rugby um, the thing that worried me about it was the amount of uh, negative publicity it got but the thing that annoyed me again was their comparison with football yeah. fans like football fans do a lot of good stuff They're a, I think football fans are a good bunch there's obviously exception, but I hated that comparison with, with, with the football. Anyway, that is irrelevant. Um, the thing, he, he tweeted out that there was like a, a sexual assault, yeah. drunken disorderly, physical violence inside the stadium, people being arrested for all that sort of thing. I'm, I was quite surprised at that. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, I think also a difference, going back to what you were saying about how football fans are portrayed differently in that. If you... I think one of the one of the differences historically, and it's it's still current because of things like the banning orders and that, is that if you are if you get in trouble, you're arrested, whatever the process is, you will be branded a football fan. So you are you are prosecuted under the umbrella of being a football fan, yeah. and there are special you know sanctions because of that. Whereas other sports don't have that. You know, if you're if you're arrested for drunken disorderly at the rugby game, you're treated as someone who's drunk and disorderly, yeah. not as a rugby supporter who's drunk and disorderly. Yeah, exactly. um, and I think that immediately puts the football fans in a, in a different basket. Um, and hence, you know, it's very easy to pull out, pull out statistics and say, this is what football f- folks have done. Yeah. In a way that you can't pull out for other sports because it's not umbrellaed the same way. Except you're about to give me some statistics, yes. aren't you? <laughs> I read this statistic, and I should credit whoever put this on Twitter, and I will credit you when I eventually kind of glue this podcast together. Per 100,000 fans who attend an event, on average, four football fans per 100,000 get arrested 
at the event. Which I think is actually bloody good. Yep. Especially when you consider it is related to... This is one of my all-time favourite statistics. Um, per 100,000, there were five arrests at the Grand National, nine at Royal Ascot, 16 at Henley Regatta, which I think is my favourite one, 30 at the Notting Hill Carnival. And I can go with that. I, I've always heard stories of, yeah. you know, petty theft and... and uh, pickpocketing and stuff like that uh, and 53 at Glastonbury which again I think is a disproportionate because that happens is it once every two years no it's every year but, every it's, year. A, but it's, a, it's over several days yeah isn't it? and so, you've got the yeah. same people in the same place yeah. like I, I, I can kind of discount that one a little bit but of all of these events football is kind of comes out the best mm-hmm. so to go back to what you said about you know football supporters get a ban in order you yeah. get treated a certain way I mean, I'm not for one moment suggesting you get a banning order from Henley Regatta. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> but why, why? And I understand that there's never been people killed at Henley Regatta because of crowd violence like the Hazard Football. Like, I'm not for one moment suggesting it's the same thing. But in the, in the position that football is in now, I read uh, an article that was done after some home office research that said banning orders were down mm-hmm. football violence in the ground was ba- uh, violence was down uh, trouble around a football match was down every club who had a banning order who had issued a banning order sorry uh, pretty much every club in England and Wales their numbers of banning orders yeah. had gone down football's making definite progress mm-hmm. and at no point do you ever hear at Henley Regatta that 16 people got arrested? Like That was my favourite one. But I think it would get to a point where I do still feel like football fans are kind of treated like second-class citizens a little bit. And comparatively, and that's a legitimate statistic, yeah, I yeah. think, comparatively, we're the best behaved. Yeah, well, out of that crew. But it would be interesting to see what the rugby and the cricket, yeah. you know, more, more obviously comparable events yeah. have. Because um, I don't, you know, I don't, it, are we actually? I, th- I still th- we're suffering from a, a a situation that's a generation old, basically, aren't we? We're, yeah. st- we're still being tarred with a brush from two generations oh, ago, absolutely. in fairness, absolutely. and you know, and it's going to take a long time to to grow through that. Um. I, I t- sorry, I'm going to... I'll glue that together. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pause I totally agree with you, and I think that trying to find a kind of a, a, a new way forward is, is so important for football fans. I'll give, I'll give you two examples that I've been a huge fan of recently, which is the... As I keep saying, as I'm, I'm a Newcastle fan. Uh, Newcastle United do a, a food bank every week. Uh, that There's a home match, all organised and run by supporters, the club have kind of cottoned onto it and send players to help out at different events. But uh, it's all fan-led, and per game, they collect at least, on average, one tonne of food and £100 in donations. And that leads to 150 families getting fed per day in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. That is an incredible effort. Uh, and they do the similar thing with Gol Cymru, the, the, the football charity there that started a while back in Azerbaijan I think it was where they went to do nice things yeah. in the countries yeah. they visited orphanages usually orphanages yeah. exactly yeah. donating clothes and money 
they've driven vehicles all the way yeah. there as well. Yeah. And simple things like like folks mailing in the currency when they came back from the from the trips recently, Absolutely, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and to me, whether you're a football fan, rugby fan, whatever. I think it's absolutely scandalous that the stories you're hearing about Cardiff this weekend uh, at the South Africa rugby match, for example, were rugby fans are dicks. Yeah. I bet there's enough people who probably are football fans who've donated to this, yeah. the Gold Cymru thing as well, and have, are of part of the positive side of football. Or, or sport in general, it doesn't have to be football, but that really annoys me. Yeah. And I think it's not a good news story front page of, you know, The Sun or whatever, Welsh rugby fans are all thugs. Yeah. <laughs> compared to Welsh football fans doing loads of good things, you know, raising yes. money for orphanages in Baku. You know, that's not a good story. That's the thing, that's what annoys me about it, is that you hear the bad stuff. No one's shining a light on the good stuff, really. And, like, the Gold Cymru, for example, they've been doing that for, what, 15 or so years. Yeah. Only really now are they starting to get some kind of media coverage yeah. that's an outrage yeah. like huge credit to the guys who kind of started that and ran that and still run it like they should get more media coverage than mm-hmm. you know a few people are pissed up in Cardiff watching the rugby but as I say it's not news is it's it not news, it's, it's not, not news. a good story yeah I wanted to cycle round to a little theory I have about culture because obviously one of the focuses of our podcast is looking at Welsh fandom, Welsh sort of pop culture around the football. And um, I actually think that the culture we have now is a sort of direct result of needing to rebuild a culture. So my thinking is that in the 90s, everything that changed, you know, all the, um, the, the, the changes around the, the introduction of the Premier League, all see a stadium, all of that it kind of stripped away the rawness and the, the atmosphere at a lot of games. And you got to the early 20s and everything was very flat, particularly at Welsh games. And you've talked a lot about some of those games you were going to, what, 15 years or so ago now, where there just there was, wasn't much happening, basically, you know? You still talk a lot, like I can never <laughs> shut up. <laughs> half, half empty stadium and that sort of thing. And, um, and I think, actually, to my mind, what's happened recently in terms of the, the culture that we've built around Welsh football is very much a, perhaps subconsciously, but it's very much a need to address that culture. Let's, we want a culture around the football that we follow. It's very important to us. So let's build a positive culture. And, you know, you see that in the people that we've been interviewing. You see that, um, you know, with the, with the developments around the game. Um, and so, to my mind, I think it's almost like a generational thing. You've got a new, like, 21st century culture that we've had to build because football without a culture isn't football. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so we might not have done it consciously, but I think we've developed a, a Welsh football culture, clearly. Oh, I and that, that was to fill a void that came from all the stripping and basically the rawness being taken out of football um, in the I 90s, so. primarily. I find a lot of the rawness is still there or thereabouts, just in, in a different, a different place. way, that's, that's fair point. And I think, I'd use the example of the Wales-Northern Ireland game in the Euros. Mm-hmm. Video went viral everywhere of the lad had lost his dad. Yeah, yeah. And all the fans sat down, yeah. <laughs> put the kid on a bin and started yeah. chanting, are you Josh's dad or whatever yeah. it was. And uh, stand up if you're Josh's yeah. dad. <laughs> and this, you know, the old, the, you know, and everyone's cheering and dancing. Yeah. And, you know, they've got a, they even got a vicar. 
uh, like a French bic or a priest or whatever to kind of stand on top of yeah. the bin or whatever with it was him. with that kid <laughs> chanting that song as well like I know it's obviously different but again talking about positives but that kind of rawness and yeah. that chanting and being a part yeah. of something is still there yeah it's just different it's just it's different. different and like yeah. that's a perfect example of like the, the positive filling of the void yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think there's been this desire to bring back that kind of camaraderie and fun foil around around the game, and I think that's that's the direct that's the trajectory we're on. My fear for rugby actually is that they're at the equivalent equivalent of that flat period, the equivalent of their <clears throat> kind of we're not quite sure what our culture is. Are we, you know? your village rugby teams coming down to the arms park for the for the home internationals you know for the six well five nations six nations yeah um is that who we are are we coach loads of lads getting in with our crates of beer on a saturday morning and three o'clock game and home we go again or are we actually an event and i my fear for them is they've hit that flat spot um what do they want to be and I think even as, as football fans, you know, I mean, if I add up the games I've been to, I've been to, probably been to as many rugby games as I've been to football games. Um, and I would, I think, as someone who's Welsh, rugby's too important to us to kind of let them go into this miasma and not, and not let it be addressed, not enable it to be addressed. Because I think, I think they're hitting a... They're hitting a dip. They're hitting a flat spot, as I've said, and I think I think that's really sad for us as a nation, actually. If, if that's not a vibrant part of who we are. No, I totally agree with you. I, 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 I'll not for a minute pretend that I'm a rugby fan. I'll watch it, and you know, I'd support Wales playing tiddlywinks if it was on telly. But I, when I was in uni, I enjoyed a lot of days out with the rugby. I never went. A lot of my mates uh, had tickets and stuff and, and went through their rugby clubs. Uh, from where they were from in West Wales and stuff I went to one or two maybe but I think it's a shame to lose that and I, people I've you know met will often say oh, I went to Cardiff for a rugby day out once and will often talk positively about the city and, and that because of the experience they had at the rugby and I definitely don't want to lose that um, and I don't think I don't think as you say the crowd that are going now are a rugby crowd um, so I do hope that that kind of changes and, and I hope that it's come across this is not some sort of rugby bashing we're doing here <laughs> <laughs> that is not the aim of what we're trying to say more just a, a commentary mm-hmm. on the situation two other quick things just before we finish to we don't do quick do a, hopefully a Barry, Barry Horns interview <laughs> Today, uh, Jonathan Ford came out and said that the next Wales manager would hopefully be Welsh, could be a foreigner, but definitely wouldn't be English. And we've had a kind of a bit of debate with a few people on Twitter today, and I was kind of surprised. I thought it was a bizarre thing to say. I mean, there's the semantics in this as well, isn't it, about whether he quite, quite said that. That's what he said. I'm, this is just it's a quote. <laughs> Um, well, actually, in the last podcast, you, did, you defined English managers as foreign, didn't you? So may, maybe he's taking up on that Maybe as well. that's, that's what he's listened to this. <laughs> that's what it is. Um, I, think, I think there's a, a kind of, you know, a preaching to the converted kind of thing there. I think if 
if all things were equal and we were looking at resumes that would deliver the, the same thing to the national team, we'd all take a Welshman over anybody else. And I do think if that's not possible, we'd probably all find it... Just, there's just something fundamental that we'd find it easier if it was a foreigner over an English manager. You look at the last English manager... Like you know, we lived that. I know, but that—that's the fact that he was English. I thought is irrelevant in that circumstance. No, but I think it's clouded people's perception. I, I, I agree. I think the biggest problem is, or the biggest thing is, sorry, there's not an Englishman out there. No, I would I'd agree want, with I'd that. I want to have the job. Yeah. I, I, I think if is you told me that uh, there was a good enough English manager out there, uh, if you told me Eddie Howe fancied the Wales job. I'd be absolutely delighted. And the fact he's English wouldn't bother me because I think he's a really good manager and would suit the way we play football. So is it easy for, for Ford to say not an Englishman because there isn't actually anyone that's on the table? I totally agree. I think it's sort of a case of rabble-rousing. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of trying to get a bit of... We know what we're doing. We've thought about this. We don't want a bloody Englishman. <laughs> and it's kind of like making people think a little yeah. bit... It's easy for him to say it because there isn't actually a candidate... Yeah. One of our responses on Twitter today was, are they going to rule out a Japanese manager tomorrow as well for the same purpose? Which others were funny. But I, I, I thought that's quite a bizarre thing. Either they have no idea what they're, who they're trying to appoint here, and this was uh, a ploy of, yeah, we know what we're doing, leave it, you know, this, is, all, yeah, this yeah. is all under control. Or they know exactly what they're doing, they've got a shortlist lined up, and, you know, they want someone who's part of the system as a consequence it's not an Englishman because there's no one out there we want we've got a selection of people we want don't worry um, and if that's true that's, that's, that's great. good yeah. I, I personally I think they're kind of struggling for names I would really really like to think that we have thought about this and we have a better ace up our sleeve yeah. and I'm uh, you know whoever they kind of come up with I think someone's going to moan about given you know, mm -hmm. given our last podcast we've talked, a lot of the candidates have, have got a weakness. Yeah. But I really, really hope they've kind of they have got this sorted out and they know they know who they're gonna chase and yeah. they're just kinda of trying to do it in a, in a in a discreet way and trying to keep people on side in the process. I thought it was interesting just that they, that he was talking about it actually. It would have been it would have been quite easy for him to say, you know, actually that's you know sort of not as blasé as that's behind closed doors but an equivalent of that so I think the fact that he sort of was up front for the question yeah. that's a good sign no, actually I agree. Um, but I think my gut reaction like I've said my gut reaction is it was an easy thing to say because there's actually nobody on the table yeah. that matches no, that criteria totally yeah. the last thing is the China Cup yeah finally been confirmed finally date's confirmed yep. 22nd of March I think is the first date uh, I'm quite excited about it I think... Just because we're playing, I think. I think, yeah, I mean, that's obviously. But I also think, um, I mean, presumably by then we'll have a manager in place. You'd like to we, think we'll, so. We'll have a little bit more of a feel for what our new, new hopefully not dramatically new direction is, but a new direction. Uh, and it'll, it'll be the first game for that guy, and I think that's really important. I agree, and I think the first game for whoever that person is is going to be in an environment... Of kind of positivity, it's, it's a friendly, but in a in a in a format that is somewhat meaningful. Yeah, there's a, there's a meaning to it, and also 
I mean, I don't know a lot about the Chinese football team, if I'm perfectly honest, but I fancy us. <laughs> so you'd like to think that you could instantly, within one game, get to some sort of final. And, you know, a game against Uruguay or Czech Republic. You'd like to think that, a, a, you know, a, a final, relatively speaking, against Uruguay or Czech Republic, like, again, you're kind of our fancy to get to. It's, it's a positive opportunity for someone there, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, My concern would be... Would be the player involvement. I mean, hopefully the fact that it'll be the first couple of games for this new manager will mean that the players want to get involved. I would say so. And I would imagine that the China Cup organisers have not phoned us because they want to, you know, see a third string team. I really fancy seeing Andrew Crofts play. (laughs) Crafty Crofty. Uh, They phoned us and this has all been set up, I'd imagine, because of Gareth Bale, Aaron Ramsey, maybe Joe Allen. Um, so as a consequence, I would imagine part of their arrangement for us to play is if they're fit, yeah, they're, they're coming and they're playing. Yeah. And it might even be if they're not fit, they're, they're doing PR stuff at yeah. least. Yeah. So that's you know that's probably part of it from their perspective. But as a consequence, I think we'll send a good side. Mm-hmm. I think it's something. I think it's something to look Yeah, yeah. And while everyone else is planning their trip to to Russia and. You know, France or, or Germany or whoever is, you know, lifting that the Jules Romain trophy. Yep. We'll be sat there smug in the knowledge that we lost on penalties to the Czech Republic in the, in the China Cup final. <laughs> Taking solace where we can. Exactly, eh? exactly. Um, no, I think it'll be a good tournament. I think it'll give a, a new manager yeah. a bit of a. I think the fact that it's a, a point where they can go away as a squad, have some time together as a squad, I actually think for a new manager that might be the most important part of it, not necessarily the opposition or what comes of the games, but just having some time as a unit. Totally agree. Well, I hope you enjoyed our Coleman Had a Dream podcast chat. We are now going to an interview with Gavin and Matt, who are Cowboyo and Bass Drum Barry from the Barry Bulls. Hello and welcome to the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I'm here with Matt and Gav from the Barry Horns, as well as Ruth, as always. Do you want to say a little hello? Hello. Hello. Um, so we're just going to talk a little bit to them, Barry Horns, about what got them going when they started this whole idea of trying to create a fan movement and uh, what went wrong, the processes of them trying to create this. Um, so we're going to start off um, with some questions we ask everyone we're going to ask everyone thanks for doing this by the way this is really nice i appreciate it oh, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. um so what was your first wales games and what about welsh football hooked you into it um okay so this is gavin from uh, barry horns uh i think i was thinking about this the other day actually i think my first game it was a long way back you know, i think it was i think it was bulgaria at home in the arms park nice which I had to look up was de- December '94, oh. <laughs> um, and it was a it was a team of all the hits, um, <laughs> all the big names. Big name, Mark Hazelwood, yeah, uh, your Andy Melvilles of this world. Oh, what a man! Um, yeah, Rush Hughes. Um, I think we lost three one, but yeah, that that was kind of I think that was my first Wales game. That's def- definitely one I, I kind of first remember. I remember. I think I went with my older brother. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. that was my that was my first. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Haverfield West. 
and I'm not sure what my first game actually was. It was quite late. I was probably, uh, I think it might it might have been against Italy in the Millennium when the bit the, the result yeah, the Venice game of that game. Yeah. Uh, I think that might have been my first actual live game. But I used to have a very very vivid memory of of watching Wales games on in the kitchen in Haverford West <laughs> and on the telly. I remember watching Wales Romania very very vividly mm. and sort of being in despair on my own as yeah. a young man and I, yeah and I, I don't know I just sort of I was, I was hooked on it through through that really like we didn't really have any live football of any great standard I guess when I was a kid I used yeah. to watch Hampton West County that was my local side up the Bluebirds <laughs> indeed exactly yeah I think um, yeah my, my family was a kind of a big big football uh, football family really like there's quite a few different kind of club uh, affiliations in the Barry Horns, but I'm a Cardiff City fan. And, you know, my, my parents and my my brother were kind of going to see them for years, kind of home and away. So I was, was kind of bought into that. And then going to see Wells, I guess, was a natural progression of that. And, you know, my, my, my brother was a, like, like almost like fanatical about football, you know, still is. So big, big kind of stats guy. And so I remember after that Bulgaria game, you know, like going under, underneath the Arms Park and waiting for players to come out like waiting for Mark Hazelwood to come out for the reason calls to get a signature and like you know they were stars to me I was what yeah, nine or something definitely and so you know in terms of kind of getting hooked I think it was more it wasn't like a big moment or a big result or a big goal or anything like that it was just kind of like the whole thing of like going to see these <laughs> stars yeah uh, you know play football and yeah I think I think even Vinnie Jones is in the um Side at that point, so big star there. But yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember getting like Mark Hazelwood's autograph. I think Vinnie Jones, but I'm some Bulgarian like Lechkov and who else? Oh really? Yeah, I remember. I remember kind of being there with my brother, or maybe my mum as well. So yeah, I was just it was it was that kind of side of things, man. I really like loved football, and um, yeah, so we began. Great, great story, great story. Um, have you ever met any Wales players in your esteemed privileged position? I'm sure you must have met a few. Have I? <laughs> well, you. <laughs> yeah, Matt has. Yeah, yeah, met a few, mate. Yeah, yeah. Don't want to brag. For the uh, for the purposes of the podcast, can you please? Um, we met a lot of the current squad. Um, just through like the whole Euros thing, really, more than anything else. Yeah. Met a few players and um, met Chris Coleman a couple of times. And to be honest, I sort of I I just feel like a small child when I meet football. Yeah, that's the, that's that's the mental thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm like. Well, Oh really? And, uh, yeah, Blakey. A lot of time for Blakey. Moving on to the Barry Horns, I've done a bit of research as I'm very professional, and I saw that in 2011 was the first ever performance uh, that you guys gave, 
and uh, it was before we Wales played England. I seem to remember you like marching through the streets. Um, it was ridiculous. Of Cardiff. It was, but I, that said, there was like a little following of people who were kind of following you around that day, and you all had your t-shirts on. I, I very much enjoyed it. Um, before that, really, like Wales were playing in Millennium Stadium, small attendances, with the odd exception, but it was often like a flat atmosphere, very, very average performances. Um, what happened to get you to the point to where you performed before the England game, and also like when did you have the idea of starting the Barry Horns and, and doing something a bit different? Um, it it was the kind of classic pub idea, wasn't it? Yeah. It was after a game, and when we talk about this, we can never remember what game it was either. But it was in my head. We played Azerbaijan at home about fifty times in the mid two thousands. Yeah. <laughs> Every game in my head is losing to Azerbaijan at home. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not even sure that actually happened, but I'm pretty sure we won one nil every time. I thought that I thought there was a game we won four nil against Azerbaijan. Yeah. But it was yeah it was probably. So I'm guessing it was 2010 or something that we had the idea then. Yeah. And um, yeah, we were in a pub in, in the Dancy Centre and we just kind of began, like we, we played in bands together for years, just kind of like punk bands and ska bands around Cardiff and South Wales area. And, um, and yeah, we were, we were all just hanging out after the game and we just kind of, like it was just such a depressing atmosphere. Yeah. You know, which don't get me wrong, we were all used to, but we just thought, oh man... You know, could we do something like this? Is that is that crazy? And I've got a, I, I think I might have invented it, but I've just got a memory of Fez saying <laughs> we should have a band. Yeah, and then all of us just sort of like laughing. Yeah, and we kind of like talked about it, like had a bit of like you know banter about it, and then yeah. and then Fez just <laughs> Fez was kind of like staring at his pipe for a while, and then looked up. Fez being uh, you know uh, a guy who's in the band this day does the Twitter and stuff, and uh, just kind of stared, looked up from his pipe, and just kind of went. I've got the perfect name, the Barry Horns, <laughs> like that. And it was, it was a gasp. Everyone in the pub stopped and looked at us. It was yeah. a big moment. Uh, and they rang the bell behind the bar. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it just started from that, really. And then we kind of kept talking about it. And I think um, Fez put together this kind of compilation CD he made with like tunes that had some kind of link to Welsh football or could potentially have a link. It had kind of um, yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, what's Curtis Mayfield? Uh, moving on up. Move on up. Yeah. yeah. Move, move on up. Move, move on up. Is MP Paul? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we do that? Ah. Well, well, we will. Um, <laughs> there you are. Podcast exclusive. Everybody, moving on up is going to be the new uh, Barry Bonds song. Any suggestions for who that song could be about? Uh, Email in, sure. Yeah, that, that, that was kind of the um, yeah the beginnings really. That was the genesis. The genesis, that's, that's good word. The, the origin story. <laughs> and then, yeah, Matt, can you remember the, the, the day of the England game? Uh, I do, yeah. I, well, I think we'd had a couple of practices by then. Like, sort of, we'd recruited various people we knew. Uh, people from, it was mostly from Cardiff and Swansea, I think. And we sort of At got together point, yeah. we'd done a couple of practices. We'd done a couple of telly things I'd forgotten about. Did those BBC adverts before that. Yeah. And then on that day... we. We actually did a. We played live on Football Focus. Do you remember that? Was that the, oh, yeah. the day of the England yeah, game? Yeah, that was the bar opposite the stadium. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we, we, we actually ended up playing live on Football Focus before we'd ever actually played in front of anyone ever. <laughs> Dan Walker, lovely guy. Dan Walker, lovely, professional lovely guy. And now he's doing BBC Breakfast, and it's yeah. good to see him doing well. Yeah, it really that. is. 
Yeah, and I'm sure his approval, your approval means a lot to him. I'm, I'm sure of that. <laughs> So, Ruth, I'm just going to hand over to you for a little bit. So, I wanted to ask actually how, how the next step um, progressed then and, and how the FA Wales got involved and, and this became somewhat more official and you were actually playing at the games. It's remarkably simple, really. Like, could we, we put those videos on YouTube so, yeah. and they got a few views and then and they literally just got in touch. Yeah, they got in touch, sent us an email or phoned us up. And um, I said, do you want to have a chat about playing at games? So no. we went, I think three of us went into the office and met, met a few of the staff there. Yeah, and it kind of felt around that time, I could be wrong, but it kind of felt around that time where there was quite a lot of changes going on in the FAW, or it certainly, it certainly felt like there was a kind of like a new lease of life and a new, a, a real new push, you know, I yeah. guess possibly the start of the Together Stronger thing, or not soon, not, sorry, not long after yeah, that, it was... Yeah. It was together stronger, so it was like you know, it felt like a new a new era, as it were, like from from a organisation and fan point of view. I think. Yeah, they they were just really positive. They said really liked what you did. Would you like to play in the stadium? And we were, you know, obviously we were, you know, very happy to do that. Yeah. That was, I guess, that was kind of our idea all along. I guess we just had no idea how to go about it. Really. Yeah, to get in free tickets. Well, I don't want oh, to say that's about club. <laughs> Slovakia or Slovenia I can never remember which one and Gareth Bale scored his first goal he scored a free kick and yeah. and I think that was one of those days and it was one of those you looked around the stadium and thought there are genuinely more coaching staff and players in this stadium right now than there are fans yeah. like I could have sat anywhere I wanted to that day like it was it was nuts and it got so, such a, a low ebb I think yeah but it was it was just a, it was quite a dark time wasn't it just, yeah you know for Wales football there's that famous 
you know, what's that famous Bellamy interview after the game? After you know, Finland, yeah. Away game. Yeah, it's an away game. But that kind of that interview always sums it up for me. You know, he's just like he's not happy. The team haven't performed. You know, I, I, obviously it was an away game, but you know, the support or whatever maybe wasn't there. And it just it just felt like a really yeah, like a, cha- a change needed to come. And I think the FAW, as far as I can tell, I guess they recognised that and thought, right, we, yeah. what are we going to do? Yeah, what can we do to the atmosphere? Is this going to help? And, and I think they were just up for trying anything. That, that's yeah, that, you know, and we were definitely and ma- yeah, massive respect to the FAW for that as well. Yeah, to be fair. yeah, no, yeah, I agree. Quite, yeah, I, think, I think fairly kind of broad-minded to try something like that. Yeah, and, and, and you know, like, kind of it, it, it worked. You know, yeah, and I guess fans of football aren't universally popular. I think that we think we, we all know that, especially yeah. if you look at our our neighbours, England. Like their band gets an awful lot of stick. Yeah. But then, so it wasn't like a given that having a band there was going to be a good thing, you know. Mm. So it, it was a risk, I guess, for, for the FAW. Yeah. That brings me to questions about other things that you you know other hurdles. Um, obviously, <clears throat> part of that was just something new. Uh, but what other hurdles have you faced along the way? Um. I mean, to be fair, like it's it's uh, not like easy, but like like Matt said, it's like uh, it's been really well received, and like the fans have totally got behind it. And in terms of hurdles, I, mean, I, guess, I guess what you could say is that in the early days, even like the first couple of years, really, we didn't really know what to play, like musically, mm-hmm. like because there was no yeah. sort of. Uh, <clears throat> plan in that sense what we what we I definitely what we used to do at the beginning when it was still poor turnouts or whatever at games is we would just play music to fill the space <laughs> we'd play like six, six minute versions of pick up pieces yeah. by average white man just during the game <laughs> I, I, I mean, just something to do I do remember like that on the canton you know we have we have like a scaffolding behind the canton mm-hmm. stand we play Tower of Power Tower of Power <laughs> And I, re- I remember we played a song, like whether it was Pick Up the Pieces or Monkey Man or something like that, and, and we played, and then afterwards, a load of the crowd in the Canton stand just turned around and applauded. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, well, that's, this isn't really what we're for. Like, <laughs> I yeah. try to, you know, we're trying to engage with the fans, and obviously we're grateful that they were appreciating what we were doing, but we, just weren't, we hadn't actually got our heads around at that point how do we actually integrate yeah, uh, yeah, the crowd. Yeah, and, and I mean, that kind of like tough that kind of tough atmosphere as well was there for a fair while you know when we started I mean what was that game down Swansea game when we were put like in the middle of the uh, like, Bosnia the, the Bosnia game yeah and we were put yeah. like yeah we just kind of went along and it was really early days and the, the attendance wasn't great and um, yeah, we, we were just in the corner of the stand just kind of just trying to kind of create an atmosphere and that you know that was that was kind of tough then yeah. as well so it definitely took a while oh yeah it wasn't it wasn't instant uh, yeah Success or whatever yeah. in that sense. Like it, it took it took us a good good few years to get the hang of what we were doing, and also not not necessarily get the fans on side because I, I think everybody or at least the majority of people understood what we were trying to do was was just trying to make the atmosphere better. And I think everyone understood that that mm. was that was you know a common goal for supporters who were attending as well as as us uh, who were, you know just being supporters anyway ourselves. Yeah, but it just took us a while to work out what are the sort of songs. We should be played, I think. Yeah, I think in terms like hurdles as well, um, like musically, like you say, I, I, even now, you know, we're doing obviously what, six years, seventy six years or whatever. Um, it's still weird. I, I find like like how much to play or when to shut yeah. up. I guess. Or like, do you do you, like when the fans are something singing something? Do you join in? Do you try and lead them? You know. So that's 
that's always it's felt always fun to do, but yeah. finding that balance is always yeah. Biggest biggest struggle for me really is hitting the drum and watching the game yeah. at the same time. <laughs> because because you, won't, you won't believe this, guys, but Matt had never hit that drum before we started the Barry Horns. He'd never hit a drum before, I've had no and he has come such a long way. That is unbelievable. Honestly, I'm so proud of him. So proud of him. <laughs> Achieved so much. Yeah, we bullied, we bullied um, a guy Tom Tinder, who's a very good trouble player, to buy him a sousaphone as well, which is the massive thing, you know, that wraps around you. Yeah. We kind of just told him he needed to buy one of those, and to be fair, he did, he did learn how to play the instrument. Oh, I, I bought that drum off a Scotsman on eBay, and it was the only drum I could find, and I thought, I didn't know how big it was. And it was the only it drum was, you could yeah, find? Yeah, there was only one on eBay. <laughs> and, uh, and that was the only drum I could find. Days then, um, and interacting with a crowd. What do you think was the kind of turning point for you guys? Um, like, obviously, I would imagine the card and move to Cardiff City Stadium probably helped. Um, yeah. But what was the time where you thought this is starting to make a difference? Was it the music changed, or was it the fans started to get on board with it, or what? What worked for you? Do you think where it started to take off? I think I think the first thing that was an FAW decision or whatever, which was the, the best decision, was to permanently base us at the Cardiff City Stadium. Yeah. I think that made a massive difference to uh, to the atmosphere, just for all of us as supporters. I just think it, it was a really good decision. It's totally paid off. And then we had a, because of that, we had a regular space where we would be. Yeah. And I think, they, I think there was an effort at the time to make the Canton end, the singing end of the stadium. So if you bought a ticket for the Canton, you were doing it because you were expecting that you wanted to sing and make a bit of noise and generate the atmosphere. Really. Yeah. So that, I think I think that was a that was a big thing. I'm trying to think of like a specific. I think the one the one yeah. moment I remember that it just I think it was oh, was it Wales Israel in, in that campaign where where the Hal Robson Carnu chant just went round. Oh for about yeah, 15, yeah, like twenty, 20 minutes, minutes yeah, or yeah. something, and that that had never happened before. Yeah. We'd, we'd had. That's a sign of the whole thing. Like I remember before Hal Robson Carnu was, you know, super famous and popular. He I used to get grief for liking Hal Robson Carnu, but it got to a point where everything kind of turned 
and everyone was behind everyone. There was no, like, we used to, like, take the mickey out of people, like, Sam Vokes drinking rum and Cokes. Like, like that, that sort of thing never kind of happened anymore. Everyone just seemed to be behind everything. And it got to a point where he became, like, a, a cult hero. And that happens a lot in club football, but I'm not sure it happens so much in international football. And, of yeah, course, like a, yeah, a, right. a, like, a personal anecdote from that is I was lucky enough that a few of the boys from the Barry Horns played at our wedding. And there is a moment uh, where one of my friends asks you guys to play the Hal Robson Carnu song. We have a video of a group of people dancing around the middle of the dance floor, chanting Hal Robson Carnu over and over again. And then you guys stopped playing and the chant just kept going and kept going. And this video is panning around the dance floor. And I was just like, there's groups of people here who are like... Yeah, pretty much. And the wedding. Um, so talking in the build-up to the Euros, do you like you talked about the whole Robson kind of thing at the Israel game? Is that something where that campaign you started to feel like you were having a positive impact on what was going on? And also, obviously, when it got to that summer itself, what was that like from your perspective, travelling around, being in France for all the games and stuff? Oh, it, was, it was just the best best experience of my entire life. Yeah, the, the Hal Robson Kanu, his goal against. Belgium, yeah, yeah. genuinely was the greatest moment of my yeah, life. Yeah, that Belgium that, that game as well for me. That was, that was like the best night of my life. Like, I, you know, I'm just, it's just, I'm not I, even exaggerating that. It's just absolutely the truth. That was the best night of my life. Gavin's and, had many great nights, but that was the best night with me. But, <laughs> no, um, but it was just absolutely amazing. And there, there was a moment, that, right, this sums up the Euros for me, right? The Hal Robson Carnu goal went in. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was stood there and I just like started shaking. I, I, it was like, it was mental. Everybody, people just diving over you. There's like beers being chucked. Sort of near, sorry, 0.5% beers being chucked yeah. everywhere. Um, and I was just shaking. And then I just, I started crying. And I turned around, right? And there was this old boy stood behind me. And I just looked at him and I just kept saying, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And he pulled me into his bosom, <laughs> and he held me tight, and he whispered in my ear, "It's real, son." <laughs> I've never met that guy before, and I've, and, you know, and I've never, I've never met him since. 
kind of the coming the coming together of a nation yeah. of a people. I just I just genuinely remember. I remember being a kid in Haverford West in my kitchen, like I said before, watching us miss out on USA 94. And I just remember how gutted I felt sat there alone in my kitchen, as you know, how old was I, like 13 or whatever. And I was crying on my own. And then, then, you know, just being so gutted and then feeling that low and then feeling that high of of going to, to France and doing all of that and spending all that time out there, mm. you know, that that in itself was, that that makes all the years of pain absolutely worth it. Absolutely. And I would go through another 20, oh no, how old, yeah, 30 odd years <laughs> of that. Should be lucky. <laughs> to, to, just for another, another go at that, genuinely yeah. worth it. Totally worth it. Yeah, I, you know, we went over, um, you know, I was just hoping for like, you know, at first it was just like, oh, let's just not, let's just not get embarrassed. I you know what I mean? Let's not goal. get embarrassed. Let's just score a goal. Let's put up a good fight. And then, you know, we had the first game and then it was like, hang on a second, you know, well, maybe we could get there. And then we went through the groups and then it was just like, okay, let's just not embarrass. And it just, the expectation kept going up and up and yeah. up. And, um, yeah, it was unbelievable. And, and, and the word like dreamland kept getting <laughs> bandied about, bandied about. But <laughs> it's never a phrase been more applicable. Yeah, Dreamland. I mean, by the end, it was like Dreamland. I said it was like, the, yeah, my fourth Dreamland. It was like Inception. Was <laughs> it my fourth Dreamland by the uh, semi-final? But uh, yeah, no, it was it was amazing, and 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 the fact that the, the uh, you know it was the Barry Horns, we got to um, kind of play out there as well. Yeah. Was, um, yeah. You know, mind blowing to be able to go from you know everything you've talked about over the last six years um, to kind of to be there playing those same teams, yeah, was, you know, in the stadiums. I mean, like, yeah, just, just, yeah, best, best. Um, just on that, just briefly, what, like, I, I've seen videos and stuff of you guys out in France, and a lot of the best ones I've seen were the ones outside the grounds, where there's a brilliant one of, um, I think it's Fez maybe playing Mavanui with someone, randomer, who you oh, met, yeah, apparently. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a yeah, it's a, like a Welsh supporter. Oh, yeah. Well, someone gives you one of the trumpets and they play like a duet. Yeah, it's amazing that bit. Yes. I just like those sort of moments. I like. I think that to me is what like encapsulates how much of an impact you guys have had. I think where you just you know doing random stuff on the street with people and everyone seems to get involved and everyone seems to love it. Like big groups gathering around and stuff like that. Like it's not just getting chanting at the matches. It's it's part of their pre and post game atmosphere as well. Yeah. Um... Yeah, no, that's true. I, I just love talking about Welsh football. 
<laughs> the more opportunities I have to talk about Welsh football with anyone, uh, I, I would like to take those opportunities. Can I ask something sort of connected to that theme then about Together Stronger and the, the, the sort of pop culture idea of what's happening around Welsh football? Um, if, you, if you had to explain a moment or, or an incident or something where you think that's really been crystallised, is there anything that, that means that moment for you? Um, I think, well, one of the moments that just stands out, I suppose, is in, in France, the, the first time in Bordeaux against Slovakia, singing the national anthem and just everybody being out there and the, the noise, the volume and the emotion. And just, I, I, I remember just trying to sing and not, nothing coming out of my mouth <laughs> because it just, I was just too emotional, really. And then just crying, you know, just being so emotionally overwhelmed really and just seeing so many people in bucket hats with whale shirts and all of that and all the clobber and seeing everyone out there you know from past players to yeah you know like well Tom, like, Tom Lawrence was stood like a yeah in front of us but I think Ben Rushy was knocking about wasn't he and like you know like Ellis James was out there and we did a little radio thing yeah. with him and I just everybody was there you know I think that kind of yeah just just yeah, Bordeaux, or just I guess just generally the Euros. That was just a kind of a celebration of everything. Yeah, um, yeah. that had been had been achieved. And I want more of that. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't. I want to do that every two years. I know, absolutely. And, think, and we can. Like it's not that wasn't a once in a lifetime thing. That's not a once in a generation thing for us anymore. You know, obviously we're very unlucky that we haven't qualified for the World Cup in Russia. But but you know, looking at the squad we've got, the players coming through, this. Every every qualifying campaign now, we're going to be competitive. We're going to be a tough team to beat, mm. and I think there's every chance that we're going to qualify, not just for the next Euros, but for for the World Cup after that. Really, no, I totally agree with you. I think we're at a really positive point, and I think the crystallising moment for me that, that we we just talked about there was I remember going to see Wales play. I think it was I think it was the Belgium game in that qualifying campaign, and. The moment for me was when the anthem started playing. I think someone started playing the first few notes of the anthem, and the whole stadium kind of kicked in. And yeah. I remember, I remember. Talk, I've I've never really cried at a football match before. Um, and then I went to that I went to that Belgium game in that campaign, and yeah. I knew it was the last game I was going to before I moved here. And when that started ringing around the stadium, I was absolutely gone. Um, for me, it was the moment when everything kind of came together. The stadium, everyone was wearing red. So many people had the bucket hats on. Like you say, it really, it really felt like like this is it. This is starting to happen now, and um, it was unbelievable. You, know, you say there um, about everyone wearing red. Like it wasn't that long ago. There was an actual campaign run by the supporters called Wear Red for Wales because people weren't wearing red. You know, people were turning up in club colours or yeah. just, just in like jeans and shirts and you know like standard gear and like it, there wasn't like a whole we're wearing red all the time it is easy to forget that stuff isn't it yeah like, comparatively yeah not that long ago and like you you get used to uh, things very quickly don't you and it's very yeah 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 not long ago um the last thing i wanted to ask um is how do you get involved in the women's matches we're doing this the day after wales women beat kazakhstan uh one nil yeah. to stay top of the group and i know you boys were playing at the, at the match there last night what was that like do you know what? It was 
absolutely brilliant. I enjoyed every minute of it, and it was freezing. It was it was one degree in the stadium, <laughs> and uh, luckily for me, I had a pair of gloves on. But it but it was it was very cold. But the atmosphere in there was fantastic. There was over three thousand people, and there were loads of young kids, and actually loads of young girls there, and they were all just sort of clapping along uh, with the chants and the music and stuff. And and it was a very very different atmosphere to a to a, a men's game. But it was actually just fantastic, and seeing that that many young kids and young girls really like engaging with football, for me was just really exciting. So really enjoyed the game, and the the, the team played really well. And if anything, it was it was looking you know with ten minutes to go when the score still at nil nil, yeah. which Kazakhstan you know clinging on for dear life. Um, it looked like it could have been a frustrating result at the end, but then obviously when the when the, the free kick went in at the end and you know goalkeeper's mistake but that's what we needed was that little bit of luck yeah. just to get I think Harrod and James hit the post I think at one point and it, you know it just looked like it wasn't going to be our night and uh, but then by you know by the celebrations from that free kick and then the celebrations at the end of the game like see, you could really see by the way the players were celebrating and the staff how much it meant to them and it, and it was great you know let's really really enjoyed it and Got there it was it was just from the FAW. Someone from there just got in touch and just said, uh, "Any chance that you could get there?" Like obviously, it wasn't something we planned in advance, so it was quite yeah quite short, short notice. But um, but as many of us who could get there got there. Because we live all over Britain, you know, it's not like we live. Uh, some of us are lucky to live very close to the stadium, but we live in Cardiff, Swansea, Newport, Bristol, and London. Yeah. You know, so this as a band, we're sort of a long way spread apart, but. Those guys who could get there did, and, and it was just a fantastic night, really. To, you know, fingers crossed that the the women's team can continue the good form and and qualify. Um, well, thank you very much for for chatting with us, lads. Um, very much appreciate it and your insights on the stories through Welsh football. Um, I think I want to say on behalf of a lot of people, thank you. To be honest, because I think that a lot of people have been drawn to Welsh football by the atmosphere and what it's like attending a football match again. And I think a lot of that is the is the difference that you guys have made to make it an enjoyable, like you said, like positive atmosphere. Um, so thanks. Well, thanks. Like, to be honest, from our perspective, really, we're just glad to be there. We feel very privileged to, to be allowed to do what we do. And ultimately, all we ever really want to do is make the atmosphere better so that so the players on the on the pitch can play the, to the best of their abilities. Like we know from conversations we've had with players and Chris Coleman that uh, that it does make a difference when when the stadium is is full and, and people are making noise and making the atmosphere what it can be. So so yeah, that that's the for us like the sort of what every fan brings. You know, the, you need to exactly. Yeah. It's just a partnership, you know, with the fans. That's yeah. how I see it. We're just, just, we're just part of it. Like like any fan who buys a ticket to yeah. to go and watch Wales, really. So, so but thanks very much. We do appreciate it when when people think what we're doing is is uh, you know a part of a part of Welsh football culture. Absolutely. Um. Well, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's very much appreciated. Thanks very much for all the information you've given us, and we hope people. Uh, information? What? <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't booked a train, though. <laughs> Kind of stuff, man. It's, it's great for Welsh football fans to have all these different avenues to um, 
get kind of information and insight on stuff. So, you know. Well, thank you very much, lads. Uh, thanks for doing it, and we very much appreciate it. And uh, I hope everyone enjoys listening to the podcast. Absolutely. Please keep in touch with us. Send us questions, comments, funny stories about Welsh footballers. Uh, we have several ways that you can be in touch. Uh, they are Coleman Had a Dream at Outlook.com, on Twitter at Coleman's underscore Dream, or Facebook, which is Facebook forward slash Coleman Had a Dream. Please also keep an eye on our blog for regular updates, blogs, comments, and that is Coleman's Dream.wordpress.com. Thank you very much for listening.